you for your goodness uh, in the land of the living. You're an awesome God, and it is so good to be in your presence, to worship you, God, to reflect on your goodness to us. And uh, God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. We want to have ears to hear what your Ruach would say today, that our lives would be changed. So uh, help us to open our hearts to receive the word. In Yeshua's name, amen. Um, Today we are finishing our series, Going Right in a Culture Going Wrong, and the uh, title of the message is Grace Relations. Uh, One last plug before I get into the word. I do want to encourage you about next Saturday, Shavuot. I was interviewed this week for a Messianic uh, radio uh, program, um, yeah, just a five-minute you know, interview. I'll let you know when it's going to be aired. But one of the last questions uh, she asked me was, what's your favorite holiday, Jewish holiday? And I said, to be honest, it's Shavuot, because it represents the outpouring of the Ruach and the giving of the Torah, which both are needed in our life. And I want to encourage you, Set aside next Saturday, the whole day, we're going to have a pot-blessed lunch. I know you're bringing good food, and then we'll have our Arab service at 5.30. And just, if you haven't been counting the Omer, this is the last week. Count every day in anticipation of what God wants to do. We've talked about this so many times. Uh, about the Moedim, their appointed times on the calendar that God has given us to focus on special aspects of his goodness and of his promises. And so this Moed, this holiday, is to focus on, again, the giving of his Torah, but more importantly, the outpouring of his Ruach in our lives, the outpouring that is made to change and transform us. So I just want to encourage you, be expectant this week of awesome things to happen. And whatever you have to do to clear your schedule next Saturday, do it. And be here for the entire day expecting to meet with God in an awesome and powerful way. Amen? Now to our message. So, we are speaking about going right and the culture going wrong, focusing on relationships this morning. Now, if we have been born anew and changed through our encounter with the Messiah, this should be evident in our relationships, first with one another here in the body of Messiah, right? Yeshua says, they will know that you know me by your love for one another. So that's important, but also with those who are not yet connected to the Messiah, those who we work with on our jobs, those who we meet out in the community, our relationships with them need to be filled with grace just as well. And if there is someone who is different from you or who has opposing views, there's often very little common courtesy that is extended to these people. It's the society that we live in. Just watch the news, right? We're in a presidential election year. My goodness, can it get any worse with the... uh, the name calling and the, you know, tearing people apart, you know, and it doesn't, it's not just in politics. You can see it all over the place. Someone who doesn't agree, there's such a viciousness and such a, a, a lack of grace in terms of relationships with one another. But Adonai calls us as believers to a higher standard. Listen to me, friends. 
We cannot justify our behavior and our attitudes towards others with statements like this. That's just the way I am. Well, friends, if that's just the way you are, then the way you are needs to change. Okay? And that's what God wants to challenge in this message today. If your personality is abrasive, it needs to be changed. Now, we're in a study on Wednesday night with the youth on truth. Truth or dare, the series is called. So this past Wednesday, we were talking about it. And one of the things that we discuss is that the truth of God's word has to change the way we live our lives. Selah. Think about that. The truth of God's word, the message you're going to hear this morning, is meant to change the way you live your life. If we don't allow the word of God to change the way we live our lives, we might as well pack it in and go home. What's the use? To come and do a little religious exercise? God's word is meant to change and transform the way we live our lives on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment situation. And that's been the purpose of this series, going right in a culture going wrong, because the culture around us is the antithesis of God's word. But we are called to go right according to his word and, again, to change our behavior. Listen to me very clearly. Your behavior and my behavior needs to change. When I read the word on a daily basis, when I hear a message, I need to allow it to change my behavior, my attitude, my words, my actions. And God wants us to take serious his word and what he's speaking to us today. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. The first seven verses. I wanted to preach on the whole chapter, but after five pages, I said, I think that's enough. So we'll have to, <laughs> to do it with the rest at another time. But read the entire chapter, especially the end talks about areas of the relationship. Rob Shaul says, Therefore I, the prisoner united with the Lord, beg you. I beg you. To lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you hear what God's saying? He's begging you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle, and patient. Bearing with one another in love. And making every effort to preserve the unity the Ruach gives through the binding power of Shalom. There is one body and one spirit, one Ruach, just as when you were called, you were called to one hope. And there is one Lord, one trust, one immersion. The one God, the Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is in all. And each one of us has been given grace. It's our topic of our message, grace relations, grace to be measured by the Messiah's bounty. So there's a few things that God wants to encourage us from this scripture today. First of all, grace, grace relations requires for me and you to imitate Adonai. Verse 1 tells us that the conduct of our lives should be worthy of our calling. 
Again, Rav Shaul says, I am begging you. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to say this probably several times through this message, but this little book of Ephesians is written to a congregation in the city of Ephesus. It's a congregation of believers like you and me. Often when we read the scriptures, we think God is speaking to those who are not yet connected to the Messiah. Friends, that's not the case. This passage is written to those who said, I know Yeshua. I bear his name. And Rav Shaul is saying to this community, and I believe God is saying to you and me and to Beth Emanuel today, I beg you. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. You bear my name. Yeshua says, when you go into work and when you go to your family and when you're out in the community, you bear my name. I beg you, he says, to live a life worthy of that calling. Imitate Messiah in your behavior, in your words, in your actions. Sometimes I shudder. When I hear what believers say and do, and when I think of how those words or actions inaccurately reflect Adonai to the world around us, and I've been guilty of it myself as well. And God says to me, and he says to you, I'm begging you, live a life worthy of the calling. Think about God's grace extended to us. Some have defined it as unmerited favor. One writer describes it as this. The God of grace is a God who freely gives, which describes a gift which, because it is from grace, has nothing to do with anything we have done. You're not receiving God's grace because you're such a good person, because you look good, because you do anything good. It has nothing to do with you. Grace is God's self-motivated self-generated, sovereign act of giving. The writer goes on to say, the grace of God is undeserved, unsought, and unbought. That is, we paid nothing for it, but it was paid for with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And that grace is extended to you, and to you, and to me. As imitators of God, we should be willing to extend grace to one another. Again, it wasn't because we deserved it. It wasn't because we were open to him. No, we know from Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Not because we were looking for him, but because he was gracious and he loved us. And verse 7 tells us that we each have been given this grace. You have grace. It's given to you. It's just a matter of you walking in that grace in your relationships with one another. We find it difficult sometimes because we don't think the person is worthy of us being gracious to them. Friends, I'm going to tell you now, and you're going to hear it throughout all of these points here this morning, Extending grace is not determined by how worthy the other person is to receive it. And if that's what you're waiting for, you're going to never be gracious, and your relationships are going to basically stink. Okay, You're not going to have good relationships if you're waiting for people to deserve you being gracious to them. 
none of us are deserving of grace from God. And even in all the relationships we're all in, we all blow it. And so if, you know, Michael is waiting for me to be deserving of his grace, I blow it all the time in our relationship. But he still extends grace to me and I to him, recognizing, again, that it's not because we're so deserving, but because we are called to walk in grace in our relationships with one another. And think about it. How many want grace extended to you? All right, if you didn't raise your hand, come on, guys. Be a little, uh, two hands back there, I see that. The reality is when you blow it, when you suck at what you're doing, everything is like you want someone to be gracious to you, don't you? Okay, give me a little grace. You know, I'm having a bad day and things are not going the way I thought. Be gracious towards me. Right? And think of the golden rule. rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you want to receive grace when you blow it. So you need to also give grace. Number two, grace relations requires humility on our part. We are told to always, say always, always be humble. What is humility? I think the greatest expression of humility is Yeshua himself, and Rav Shaul describes it perfectly in Philippians chapter 2. Follow along, verse 3 through 8. Do nothing out of rivalry or vanity, but in humility regard each other as better than yourselves. Okay, that's sticking in someone's throat. Okay, what do you mean regard someone better than me? Yep, that's what he's saying. I don't like that, Rabbi Carol. Take it up with God. Look out for each other's interests and not just your own. Let your attitude towards one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to be possessed by force. On the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, he humbled himself still more by becoming obedient even to death, death on a stake as a criminal. Friends, if Yeshua, God Almighty, could walk in humility to bring salvation to you and me, then certainly we as his followers can imitate him and walk in humility towards one another, again, within the Kehillah and also in the community outside. We must, our grace relations requires that we express humility. Humility means I must get over myself. You have to get over yourself. There's no place for self-absorbed thoughts, attitudes, or actions. Humility means I will not just be concerned about me, and I will certainly not think I am so much better than the person sitting beside me or across from me. Friends, we are all a work in progress. Some of us might be a little further along than others. Hopefully, 
You've heard me say this many times in messages. Where you are today is not where you were a year ago. That, again, we are, as even in the welcome, as Gary said, we are all on a spiritual journey. And our goal is to help people get from where they are to where God wants them to be. And God wants us all to be further along than we are in the area of our relationships. So, again, we have room to grow. And we have things to do with the word that we're hearing right now today to change our behavior in the way we relate with one another. And being gracious and being humble means I recognize that, you know, Myrna is still in progress, that my husband is still in progress. So, yeah, sometimes, (laughs) give me a thumbs up, sometimes there may be things that, you know, irritate me. Anyone else get irritated by anyone else in the congregation? But that I walk in humility in those relationships. That's what God is calling us to do. God forbid that we should look down on one another because we consider another person's behavior to be unacceptable or not as good as ours. What did Yeshua say? Take the beam out of your eye before you try to take the splinter out of your neighbor's. The reality is, if we look hard and long enough, there's going to be something in everybody in this congregation that's going to irritate us. We all have our own little idiosyncrasies that can drive each other crazy. But grace relations means we walk in humility. The problem is often we compare ourselves with others, and when we do that, we always come out looking better. Well, I don't do that. You know, I, you know when Rabbi asked me to do something, I do it right. You know, and he has, she has that person, and they're doing it all wrong. Don't tell me you haven't thought that. Some of you even expressed it, just saying. That's dangerous ground, friends. Dangerous ground. And God says grace, relations, means you're going to walk in humility. Humility is not just something we need to demonstrate again, with each other in the congregation, but we need to actively walk in humility to those outside of our community. We can get so prideful in our faith that we look down on those who don't agree with us or even oppose us. This was not Yeshua's stance. He was often opposed. And as believers, I mean, this year, probably more than ever, our family has... Uh, watched more news about the election and the races, and it has, you know, stirred up a conversation in our household. And, of course, my kids are both old enough to vote this year, and so, you know, they are very interactive with this whole thing. And, and it can be frustrating as believers because we are always being bashed, right? But we cannot retaliate. We have to walk in humility, even in those instances, just as Yeshua did. 
One writer described humility in this way. True humility is not putting ourselves down. Okay? Please understand this. But rather lifting others up. So when I say, you know, walk in humility, I don't mean beat yourself up. I just mean exalt other people. And Andrew Murray put it this way, the humble person is not one who thinks mainly, meanly of himself. He simply does not think of himself at all. He thinks of others. Number three, grace relations requires uh, gentleness. This is tied with humility. The Greek word used here implies someone who is able to, listen to this one, control their emotions. Uh-oh. It also means it's the opposite of violence and vengeance. Other translations of this word is meekness, which has been described by many as strength under control. So a gentle person will exhibit grace as he controls his or her emotions, even in the most heated of situations. Now, I'm an emotional person. I'm from the Midwest, and, uh, and if you've seen my family, when they came out to celebrate, you know we're loud and emotional. I've told you before, I can remember uh, Sister Taki uh, from Shirley uh, talking about my family at my son's bar mitzvah, and every time I see her at a meeting, she always brings it up. Wow, your family, they're loud. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we are, right? And we can be, and God has given us emotions, Okay, and I have tried to train my children and have encouraged, especially my daughter, because women tend to be a little more emotional, uh, you know, that God has given you emotions, but you cannot let your emotions control you. Doesn't mean that you push them down, right? But you have to properly express emotions. But when it comes to this word gentleness, it means a person will extend, extend grace as he controls the emotions, again, even in the uh, worst of situations. So gentleman, gentleness means I will not be easily provoked. <coughs> by the actions or words of others. So many times we respond to other people, both within the body and without, with such harshness, and to be honest, even rudeness. I, sometimes, again, I just, I can't believe things that I observe, and even things that I have received personally, directed towards me personally, but I've seen in other situations in the body, such harshness, such rudeness. And friend, grace relations means that I'm going to be gentle, uh, and I am going to, again, respond in a, in a proper way to people's actions. Well, Rabbi Carol, and, I, and I, you know, as I'm writing my message and things, all I can hear is people saying in their minds, oh, Rabbi Carol, you don't get it. You know, I do get it. I have to work on these as well. I'm in relationships just like you are, okay? Gentleness. When we react to someone harshly and rudely, this is not developing grace relations. A gentle person will not viciously attack another person. And listen to me, friends. Often we do this and we say, well, I'm just 
standing up for my rights, and I'm not going to let people walk all over me. But that's not what gentleness is. It's not what meekness means. Our relationships will not flourish if we are always confronting and combative in our attitudes and actions and words towards one another. Michelet, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle response deflects fury, but a harsh word makes tempers rise. It's amazing the difference to respond gently or to respond harshly. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit at the couple's uh, dinner tonight. But my husband and I and my family until, you know, Josiah went to college two years ago. But because I homeschool, you know, we are a family that is together 24-7. Try that. And try homeschooling. Okay? Now, I, I, I would do it over again. I am so grateful for the opportunity. I would do a few things. I would do a lot of things differently. Um, but there were some tense moments in homeschooling. Right? And there were times where I said, I need to leave the classroom. So I don't blow it. But there were other times where I didn't leave the classroom, and I did blow it. And the reality is, whenever I was able to control my emotions and respond in a gentle manner in the midst of that tension in the classroom, it was so much different than when I let it all loose and let it all hang out and went at my kids with both barrels like gentleness. Is part of having grace relations. We all can learn to be more gentle in the way we respond to one another. Think about it. Yeshua faced great opposition and hostility from people, but he always responded with gentleness and meekness. And once again, his example is the one we need to follow. Number four, grace relations requires patience. Now, this is not an easy one for most of us either. We so quickly get exasperated with others because they're just not getting it together, both within the body and outside the body. People do things that irritate us, even uh, hurt us, and our old nature wants to retaliate. But again, the essence of the Greek word here is that it requires us to do the opposite. Patience, one writer said, is the capacity to be wrong and not to be wronged by someone and not retaliate. It is the ability to hold one's feeling in restraint, to bear up under the oversights of wrongs afflicted by others without retaliating. Do you see the theme through these different Greek words here? Gentleness, humility, patience, without retaliating. The reality is, you know, as long as everyone is doing what we want them to do, we have no problem. We're gracious in our relationship. But let's face it, nobody does what we want them to do and how we want them to do it 100% of the time. Therein lies the problems in our relationships. That's why God wants us to walk in grace. 
And grace requires that we are patient towards one another. It's a spirit which never gives up. And it's exhibited for us once again by Adonai himself. And going back to the first verse where he says, I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling. In other words, you bear the name of God Almighty. Make sure you act like it. So let's look at his example, Tehillim, 86 Verse 15, the psalmist says, But you, Adonai, are a merciful, compassionate God, slow to anger. That phrase in the Hebrew, slow to anger, means patient and rich in grace and truth. Yet again, we who have been extended such grace and patience are often the first to get impatient and judgmental towards others. Look at Rob Shul says in Romans 2, verses 3 and 4. Again, he's writing to a congregation of believers. He says, do you think that you, a mere man, a human being, passing judgment on others who do such things, yet you do them yourself, will escape the judgment of God? Or perhaps you despise the richness of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience. Because don't you realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to turn from your sins? God is patient with us. And in turn, we need to be patient towards one another. Once again, if you are in any type of relationship, you are going to be irritated by the other person. You're going to be hurt by their words, by their actions, by their attitudes. You will be wronged. It's it's inevitable. And not always on purpose. Okay? Read the beta Satan. 99% of offense is not intended. Okay? Just saying. However, living in grace means that you and I will extend patience towards that other person who is a work in progress. Can I remind you once again? Just as you and I are. Patience means I will endure in a relationship and not bail out because I'm irritated by the person's actions or attitudes towards me. Number five, grace requires that we bear with one another in love. Bearing with one another, again, connected to patience. All these, you know, little words right after each other are so connected together. But it's the attitude and actions we display when we observe the faults and failures of others. Now, look at the person, you know, across the aisle from you. Look at the person behind you. Okay, look at the person in front of you. You can look at me. Have you ever noticed anything that that I've done that bothers you? Have you noticed anyone else in this congregation, their faults and their failures? Of course you have. Well, bearing with one another means that when that happens, we, again, carry the load. We don't get irritated and say... Enough cutting you off. Not going to have anything to do with you. Colossians 3.13 further explains this by saying, Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against someone else, in other words, someone has done something that you don't like, 
because they're not doing it how you would do it. And uh, so they are wrong and you are right, which is not necessarily true, but that's how you're thinking. So when you have a complaint against someone, you're told forgive. Indeed, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Bear with one another. One writer describes this verse by saying that Rav Shaul encourages us to make allowance, to tolerate the faults and failures of other or differing personalities and abilities and temperaments. He says it's not a question of maintaining a facade of courtesy while inwardly seething with resentment. Hear what I'm saying? But it is a spirit-empowered position of love to those who irritate, disturb, or embarrass you. Not natural, but it is a supernatural response. When I'm talking about being gentle, bearing up, humility, I'm not talking about putting this facade on and that fake smile. Okay? And on the inside, you are like, every time you see me. Okay? That's not what God is talking about. In the natural, it might be hard to put up with me and my idiosyncrasies. But with the help of the Ruach, and that's why next week is so powerful as we celebrate the outpouring of the Ruach, I am able to live out the principles of this word. Again, this truth must change my behavior. It must change your behavior. Don't go away from here today and live the same way you lived this past week. Allow the word to transform your actions, your words, and your attitudes in the relationships you have. And then all of this is to be done in love. Now, we spoke about this at our last woman's Chavarup group. So just listen to what love is. We read this, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Not jealous, not boastful, not proud, rude, or selfish, not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong. I might go preaching off on this, but I'm not going to, but just to say, friends, when you come in and you sit down and you start talking to me or you start talking with someone else about a relationship and you start bullet point after bullet point, everything that's been done to you wrong, That's not love. Love keeps no records, no records of wrongs. It doesn't gloat over other people's sins, but takes delight in the truth. Love always bears up, always trusts, always hopes, always endures. This is how grace relations should be filled with love. We should be patient. We should be kind. Not jealous, proud, rude, or selfish not easily angered. Yet so often, these are the qualities I see coming out in my own life and in the life of other believers. And God is challenging us today, grow in grace in your relationships. And that means you're going to bear with one another in love. And finally, number six, grace relations requires effort to keep unity. Verse 3 says, make every effort to preserve the unity the Ruach gives through the binding power of shalom. Once again, I want to remind you this. It was written to a congregation of believers, a congregation like ours. And through it, Rav Shaul uh, is encouraging us that 
It will take hard work to protect the unity. And this applies to our congregation. It applies to your marriage. It applies to your family. It applies to your workplace. It applies to the community we live in. Unity and harmony is something that takes a lot of hard work. It's not something that just happens. We speak about it in our membership class. I quote from our our, uh, manual there. There are many things that will happen to try to break the unity in the congregational mishpacha, but we are called to do everything we can to prevent that. We have to resist the temptation to talk about others, to get attitude because things are not done the way we think they should be, Walking in unity requires us recognizing the importance of others in the congregation and understanding that our way is not the only way. We must do everything we can to protect the unity of our congregation, the unity of your home, your marriage, okay, your families, your workplace. There should be peace and harmony If you walk in grace relations, when you walk into that workplace, you should be ushering in this presence of God Almighty that changes the atmosphere. Yet, unfortunately, sometimes when we walk into our workplace, we are like a time bomb ready to explode. Friends, that's not grace relations. You should walk in and, again, bring the presence of God Almighty that transforms the atmosphere you work in. Oh, Rabbi Carol, you have no clue. Wrong. It's true, I've been a rabbi for many, many years. But I did work other jobs before that. And I have to walk in grace relationships with the person I work with. And with everyone in this congregation. And with my family. And my husband's family. Taylim, Psalm 133, 1 says, How good and pleasant. It is when brothers live together in human unity. How good and pleasant. The book of Nehemiah is such a great illustration of unity. Nehemiah went back and he rallied all the people to help to build the ruins of Jerusalem. And they all worked together. Each one had their part. No one was off doing their own thing. Friends, we cannot afford to be divided in our hearts or in our vision. There's one vision here at Beth Emanuel, and each of us must be united with that vision or we cannot stand. So we need to make every effort. Spudazo is the Greek word. That means to be diligent. It involves an intensity, not just a purpose, but of action. It means I am enthusiastic about protecting the unity of this congregation, of my marriage, of my home. (coughs) It means I'm eager to do so. It means I will give my maximum effort, and I will be zealous about doing it. 
To preserve or protect the unity means we are on guard as if we were watching over a precious jewel. Think about it. If you were entrusted with the, the, the most precious jewel in the, the world today, which I don't know what it is. I should have looked it up. But if you were called to protect that, what would you do? Man, you would guard it with your life. Well, that's the sense of what God is saying here in Ephesians, to protect the unity. The enemy is always seeking to divide. Your family, your marriage, your workplace, this congregation. God, God wants things to happen here. The enemy wants to divide. A house divided cannot stand. What are we going to do about it? I think we'd better take notice and get serious about the business of preserving unity. It is hard work. Friends, it is so much easier to walk away from a relationship than it is to put effort into building it and protecting it. And I want to tell you, people who walk away, whether it be from this congregation or from a relationship, almost without exception, are people who fault the other person or people as the reason that there's no more unity or harmony instead of doing their part, instead of putting in the effort to preserve the unity and to work at the relationship. I'm going to tell you now, and I've said this many times before, if you ever, ever leave this congregation, which I don't want any of you to leave, but if you do, the scripture says you shall go out with joy and be led with peace. There's a way to do it. And to do it disgruntled and uh, blaming the other person that things are not right because there's something wrong, that is the opposite of what God is telling us in Ephesians. Again, whether it's in the congregational life, whether it's in your home, whether it's at your workplace, you have to work hard to protect the unity and to build grace relationships. So as we conclude, in a culture gone wrong, most people would give up on relationships when conflict arises or when things start to unravel or People do things that irritate, but God calls us to build grace relationships. So my encouragement to you this morning is the first priority is to change your attitude. Because if your attitude don't change, it's going to be hard to change anything else. And as I said, This word is meant to change the way you live this week. So start with your attitude. Change it. That will lead to a change in our actions and our words. And the end result will be relationships that are flourishing under God's love. And isn't that what you want? That's what God wants. So let us be those who build grace relations as we apply the principles from today's message in our lives. Amen? Let's stand to our feet.
Abba and I thank you for your word. God, that uh, challenges us sometimes, but God, it's good to be challenged. And uh, God, I thank you that you want us to live differently than the culture around us that is so antithetical of who you are and what you declare in your word. So I pray for each one of us that from today's message and this whole uh, series that we've uh, just completed, that these words would change the way we live. Uh, That as we conclude the service today, that the way we interact with one another would be with grace. Uh, But not just today, but tomorrow morning when we get up and Monday when we go to work and in our homes and in our uh, families and with our workmates, our co-workers, God, that we would extend grace, grace in our relationships. Help us to walk in humility, patience, gentleness, love. God, help us to work hard to protect the unity of the relationships you have us in. God, I pray that we would see such a flourishing, flourishing of relationships in this year, God. Forgive us, God, where we have been so critical and judgmental of one another. God, even thinking sometimes that we are so much superior, better than others around us. God, forgive us. Help us to live worthy of the calling. Help us to live worthy of the name we bear, the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, of God Almighty. May our lives accurately reflect you to the world around us. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. I want to close with ironic benediction. As I close, I'm going to invite the people who uh, normally help pray to come up and uh, be available. If you want anyone to pray with you, they're going to be available here uh, for a prayer. Uh, if you sign up for the couples thing tonight, it's 6 o'clock. If you didn't sign up and you want to come, see me quickly because <laughs> I had to go home and cook. Uh, we can squeeze you in. So uh, it's going to be a great time uh, tonight. So, um, uh, But just do see me if you didn't sign up. And again, I'll ask the prayer team to come up. I'm going to close. If you want anyone to, to agree with you in prayer for anything, just come up. The team will be here to pray for you. So, Yivarechacha Adonai v'Yishmerecha, may Adonai bless you and keep you. Yair Adonai panavaleka v'Kuneka, may Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. Yisa Adonai panavaleka v'Yisimlaka Shalom, may Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace of Adonai. May grace, grace, grace penetrate and permeate your relationships. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.